morning, everybody. In our series from the book of John, so far looking at the I am's of Jesus. So far, he said that he's the bread of life, and he's the light of the world, and he's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And with everyone so far, and it's going to continue, he'll say that, and then there's always this charge to believe. I am this, believe it, because the believer gets whatever he says he is, and the unbeliever doesn't. So the believer gets bread. Bread, somehow that satisfies that never runs out. The believer gets Jesus, and he never runs out. Everything else you can see in the world, it's temporary, and it's never going to satisfy the need that you have, but he's forever, and he's every day. So you believe, and you, you get. Don't, and you don't. I'm the light of the world. The believer gets light. They get a way through this world, and I need a way through this world. And God shows us a way through this world. And who better to show you how to get through this world than the one who made it? And the believer gets it, and the unbeliever doesn't. They're in the dark. So he's saying, I am this. Believe it, and you get it. The believer gets the knowledge of provision and protection from above, from a shepherd, that the unbeliever doesn't have. And you have that, and then you have peace, and whatever you're going through still waters, peace in your soul, and a place to turn always that the unbeliever doesn't have. And you go through that enough, and you start to see these I am's, you're like, this stuff is for me. Exactly. Believe it. And so the pattern doesn't change today. It's the same thing he's going to say, I am the resurrection and the life, believe it. So here, here's the story today. This comes from John chapter 11. And Jesus is with people he knows and loves. It's a family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus, two sisters and a brother. Lazarus has died. Jesus wasn't there. The sisters are upset. If you'd been here, we wouldn't be in this mess. And so he says, don't worry, I am the resurrection and the life. Here's the rest of it. Whoever believes, though he die, yet shall he live. Do you believe it? Do you believe I have the power over death? And Martha says, I believe. And so we'll see what happens next here. I'm actually going to go through the whole thing. I might put it in your bulletin. I'm not going to put it up here so you can read along with. And I'm going to stop a lot wherever I feel like it's necessary and I'm sort of in charge today, so I can stop wherever I want and talk with whatever I think is important. Here we go. So John 11, 1 through 44, we won't read all 44. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. It's, it's that Mary. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So we'll stop right there. That happened a couple of times in Scripture. A, a woman anointing the feet of Jesus, wiping his feet with their hair. The first one, it was two separate women. The first one was not this Mary. The first one was Luke 7. And the woman that comes that time to Jesus to do that, she's, she's got a ton of baggage. She is a woman of the city or a lady of the night. I mean, she knows she's a mess. And the only thing she... she finds Jesus at a party with religious leaders, and the only thing she can do is cry. She has nothing to say. Because she knows who she is. 
and her tears wet his feet, and then she ends up wiping his feet with her hair. And then he, the guys in the room say, if you knew who she was, you wouldn't even let her touch you, not even your feet. And then he tells this awesome story, and the end of the story is this. If you think that you have just a little bit to be forgiven for, you're going to love me just a little bit. But if you know you got a ton to be forgiven for, you're going to love me a ton. This one loves me a ton, and she's right and you're wrong. I just like that story. That's not this Mary. That was the lady of the night. This Mary, she breaks an expensive jar of perfume over his feet, 300 denarii, 300 days wages. The accountant is in the room, Judas, and he's, he's like, what a waste. The gesture, though, means this. There are some accountants in the room like, I concur. <laughs> 300 days wages, it's a lot. <laughs> okay, here's the gesture. The gesture is, this Jesus is worth your very best. And, when she, she wipes it off, he's also worthy of your, of your humble service. And again, she's right. So, that's Mary. It's her brother that's ill. So the sisters, Martha and Mary, are worried, sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus knows this crew. He knows them. He's stayed at their house before. He's going to stay at their house a lot. So they are friends. They he loves them, and they love him back, which is how it always works. You say that you love God, it's only because he has loved you first. So Lazarus loves him because Christ has loved him first, and he's sick. Now, we don't know what he has. All we know, he has it for a reason. And the reason he is sick is that God has allowed it because he's going to do, do something with it to bring himself good attention, which is really no different than the guy born blind, which is two chapters earlier. We covered this last week or maybe the week before. Why is this man born blind? Who sinned that this man is blind? Nobody sinned. He's blind so that the works of the Lord may be displayed through him. So sometimes, here's something to think about, just a side point. Sometimes, whatever you're going through, let's say you're really going through it right now. Sometimes, that suffering is built in. Sometimes God allowed it. Sometimes he's planned that suffering because he's planning to do something with it. Somehow through your situation, he's going to be glorified, and so he let it happen. All suffering doesn't say all suffering, but some. Sometimes, so if you're going through it, something to consider at the moment would be, how is it from this situation God can get good attention? even though you're miserable, could I work towards that? It's, it's something to focus on in the midst of it. How could he get good attention? Some of you are going through it and you need it right now. Continue. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister 
and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after, after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. So a little strange, like if he loves them and they know, if you love someone, you go, right? Listen, if Brandy's in trouble and I get word, like you gotta be here, I love her, I'm going. Like I can't, I couldn't say, I love you, I'm gonna stay two days where I'm at. I'd be in trouble if I got there. <laughs> if you're waiting on something, anybody waiting on God to do something, and you've asked, and he's not there yet, or it's not evident that he's there yet, it does not mean that he's forgotten. He's not forgotten yet. Don't make that mean something it doesn't. Because sometimes he said, no, I do love you, and because I love you, I'm going to wait. If you're waiting, that doesn't mean that he's forgotten. According to this. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were now just seeking to stone you there. So he's going back to Bethany, and he just had a really bad time there. They're trying to kill him. And you're going to go there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks at night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Meaning this, to walk in the light here, what he's talking about is you walk according to what God has told you to do. He who walks in the path that God has marked out, that's daylight, cannot stumble and fall. And even if he does stumble and fall, it's okay because that's what God has wanted. If you go, you just go where you know he's told you to go. And in this particular case, Jesus knows, I got, I got to go to Bethany. It doesn't matter if it's hot there because that's where he wants me to go. And that's still the best place for me. To walk at night would be to walk according to your own choosing. And that, when you start to make your own decisions about it, apart from what he has said, that's when you're going to run into trouble. So Jesus said, we're not going to sneak around at night to go here. We don't have to be afraid of it because... God said, go there, and I have days left, and so it's going to be fine. Thomas, right after this, says, all right, let's go. We shall go and die with him there. So even though he said it, they still believe that they're going to go die. The encouraging part about all this is at least they still go, which means they've grown up a little bit. So let us go and die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So four days is significant. There was a belief at the time that someone dies and the spirit of that person would hover over them. Now, not all the Jews believe this, but, but some. And that there was still a chance to re-enter. But on day four, day four is when decomposition began. And so that was, then it was over. Then for sure, like day four, you were dead, dead. Which, which maybe is why he waited. Because it, the longer he waits, okay, the greater, I'm, I've spoiled the end already, all right? So there's going to be a miracle at the end. But four days is dead, dead. I mean, that means something to those who read it. So there's no shot here. Decomposition has begun. Also, think about Christ. What was the prophecy on Christ in his own death? Right? He's dead three days or parts of three days, but my Lord will not see decay. Four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brothers. So Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went out to see him, but Mary stayed in the house. 
Martha says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know whatever you ask from God, he will give you. So her first inclination is to blame him, but then sort of backs it up and says, but you can still fix it. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So there was a belief that if you had a righteous life, that there would be some sort of resurrection later, but that's not what Jesus means. He says, here's why he's going to rise again. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That's the centerpiece. We'll say it again. This is what he says to her. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Now, she could not have known all that he meant with that, but she does trust and is God after our complete and total understanding. And then we, get, then we give him our buy-in. No, he's, he's after our trust, which he seems to have here. Mary comes out of the house next. They go through a very similar conversation. Jesus is emotional here. It says that he wept. My favorite verse in Bible school. I scored so many stars on this verse. 1135, Jesus wept. Nailed it. Then they go to the tomb. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha reminded him of the four days. Listen, it's not going to be good in there. And he says back to her, Martha, you just said back there that you believed. And if you believe, God's going to get glorified. So trust me. We always need reminded. Trust me. I'm going to do this. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind this man and let him go. And then it explodes. What was the reason for the miracle? What did he say? God's going to be glorified, and he was. So now belief, right after this it says, and therefore they believe. So many, 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 many are starting to believe because no one can do this. He's dead four days, and no one has that kind of power. And so if Jesus does, then he has to be divine. And so what does he want the world to know? That he's the Son of God sent to save it. But now belief is, it's, this is the high point in his ministry. foreshadowing, though, his death, which, which is coming just a few days away. His own. So this is not the point, but this is pointing to the point, which is his own death and resurrection, which is on the way. This is Bethany. He leaves there for just a little bit. This is the last half of 11, and then right in 12, he comes right back. So here's the first part of 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore comes to Bethany. So he comes back on a Saturday. It's this Saturday in Bethany that he eats with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And it's at this dinner on Saturday that Mary breaks the jar of perfume and anoints his feet. Of course she does. She's having dinner with her dead brother. Of course she does. It makes perfect sense. Like, 
He who is able to give us beyond what we can ever imagine is here. Laz is here. Like this is a, it's an act of worship. That's Saturday. He's going to keep coming back here. He hangs out with them this whole time. So he's six days away from his own. That's Saturday. Sunday is the triumphant entry. He goes to Jerusalem, and this is Palm Sunday. He rides in on the colt, Hosanna, all that stuff. Everyone is, this is, the, this is the one who's come to save us. Monday, he empties the temple. You've turned my father's house into a den of robbers, right? This is where he flips over the tables, has the whip. Jesus is, you know, is not a wimp. Tuesday, Judas makes his deal, 30 pieces of silver. Wednesday is silent. Thursday is the Last Supper. Gathers them around. Now, he's not going back to Bethany that night. Every night he's going back. He goes into Jerusalem, he goes back to Bethany. Not tonight. Last Supper, gathers them around. Fellas, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood poured out for you. There's going to be a new deal, a new covenant between God and you. And the deal is he will not count your sin against you because I paid for it. He doesn't go back that night. That night he goes to the garden. He's betrayed. He goes to trial. So the first couple is a series of three. That happens in the middle of the night. By Friday morning, he's before Pilate and by Friday, sometime shortly after that, he's on the cross. In the afternoon, sometime, he lifts up his gaze and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is the moment where he knows this is the finest moment in human history for us. In that, he knows then that God has turned his back on him. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. There's something very real that happened. And Jesus became sin, our sin, the very thing that God hates. And in that moment, God hated him. It's, it's not a, it's real. Like this is when he took our place. This is when he was numbered with the transgressors. This is all that talk about like, well, he, died, he took my place. He took my place. This is when he took your place. He was numbered as you. God treated him as if he were sin and hated him. It's real. And when he knew that it was done, he said so. It is finished. And breathed his last. Stays dead parts of three days. That's Friday, all day Saturday, part of Sunday. Then Sunday morning, he does this John 11 thing all over again. And he doesn't need help. <laughs> he doesn't need help. This is what he says about himself. This is John 10. 17, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. The stone is rolled away, and out he comes. Death can't hold him. Death is an enemy. Do you know that death is it's called our enemy in Scripture? It's called our last enemy. It's the one thing we can't beat, and he can beat it like a drum. And here's the best part. 
If you believe, he will bring that same power to bear on your death. He who has the Son has life. This is what we're going to take away from today. This is what I want you walking out of here thinking about. He who has the Son has life. This is John 1, 1 John 5, 12. He who hath, I actually like that version better. He who hath the Son hath life. He who has the Son has life. Say it with me. I, I know we don't do this, but I want you to say it with me. Ready? One, two, three. He who has the Son has life. Do you have the Son? Here's why it matters. Because death is coming. My wife and I were reminded of this this week. Um, we got word that 13 years ago, 12, 13, 14 years ago, we lived in Tennessee. And we got, our kids played peewee soccer at the Y. And so our, we ended up with two other families, the three of us, and our kids all played on the same team. I still have M's uh, card, like the little, uh, you know, like a baseball card, you know, it shows like all her stats and stuff. You know, it just has her, she's a cute little thing. And then on the back it says she likes rainbows and whatever else. You know, she never kicked the ball, not one time the whole season. Never touched it. She looked great. <laughs> she was great. Never touched the ball. The kid that did, his name is Patrick. We found out this week, is on life support or just took him off? Crazy series of events. He's 18. And in that same crew, we had this crew, there was the three of us. The other family was Eric and Jesse. And they had four boys. Last year, Eric, father of four, younger than me, died cancer. If you would have told us then, okay, inside this crew, inside of 15 years, death is going to touch two families, we'd have said, no way, no way. Think about your own crew. Who do you run with inside of that? You just don't believe it. But we should. James chapter 4. James 4. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade to make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Brandy and I talk about this all the time. Do you know we have big plans like, we plan and plan and plan and plan. We're going to do this and this and this and this, and yet we do not know what tomorrow brings. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Like, we have no idea. Listen, if, if, if you or I die today, tomorrow will be a very quiet day. Tuesday will be the day you meet with a family. Wednesday, probably a viewing of some kind. Thursday funeral, probably. It's how it goes. You know how I know? Because I've been a part of a lot of it. This is what I've seen. I just looked back through, what have I seen? How do I know that it's a mist? I've seen... Guys, live it through their 80s and live it big and then very quietly breathe their last. Big full life. 
I've carried their caskets. But I've also seen caskets that only one person has to carry. Tiny. Just dad. Just dad. You could count the number of breaths total. They were just barely here. Heartbreaking. And everything in between. Guys in their 60s who have lined it all up, and there it is, and now finally I can enjoy it. And then right then, just gone. And no one saw it coming. Kids in high school, teenagers, 16 or 17, probably 16, who... Like one day they're studying econ. They took a test on Wednesday. They never went back to school. They died that night, and no one saw it coming. I sat right there with them. No one saw it. Guys in their 20s who, they stand up. It's last round. Thanks a lot. See you tomorrow. And they never make it home. They had no idea. They had no idea that that beer that they drank was the last one they would ever drink. Never. It's like, well, could we stay off of this? Is this going to turn? Listen to this. This is Ecclesiastes. It's not, it's not a bad thing to consider this. As a matter of fact, we're told we should. Ecclesiastes 7, 2. It is better to go to a house of mourning than go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone, and the living should take it to heart. If death is our destiny, then we should take it to heart. You should. And you can't push it away by right living. I've also seen this. I've seen... Men abuse drugs and alcohol for their whole life. I mean, and then at the end, they just actually got tired of it. And they just actually kind of gave up on that and gave up on everything. And it turned to Christ. Their heart softened, turned to Christ, and then just died peacefully. But others who confessed Christ early on, followed them all the days of their life, fought through, actually left a legacy of faith for their family, not to save them, but at least in his as an example to live by, and then they died slow and suffered for years. There's no formula. Like if I do this, this, and this, and then it's, there's not. It's just all the days ordained for us were written in his book before one of them came to be, and he knows and we don't. It doesn't matter if you have four teenage daughters. It doesn't matter to him. It doesn't matter if your grandkids are little. All the days ordained. So, do you have the Son? I mean, that is so unbelievably important because the Son can bring to bear His power to beat death like a drum on your death, the one enemy you can't beat. And then He who believes, though he die, yet shall he live. So there's hope. There's something more. So what is it? What is life like? What sort of life will we have? I mean, if he does bring it to bear, if we die and we're going to die, then what sort of life is there for us to have? I thought we would consider that just in the closing moments. What happens when we die? Can we know? think it's helpful. What sort of thing? I mean, it's not going to be a Lazarus thing. I mean, we're not walking out of the basement of a funeral home. Not that kind of life. That was to foreshadow a different kind of resurrection unto life 
the one of Christ, the one that he says, he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Which means he's going to pass that same sort of life after death on to us. So what can we expect if we have the Son? These are things that I have talked about and passed on from the Word in gatherings around people who have died. And I can tell you that in those gatherings, there is always a belief that that person lives on somewhere in a better place. Always. It's never not been the case. Is that true? I don't know. It's not for me to judge, but these are the things that we can know. If you have the Son. We can't know completely because... I mean, if he wanted us to know completely, he would have just said, this, 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 and this, and this will happen. He didn't say that. But it doesn't mean that it's silent. It's not. There are some things. So one, from the word, we can pick up glimpses that when we die and we have the son, that we will be with him and or with where he is right away. With him right away couple of places I would point us to. One is Jesus on the cross with the two thieves. The conversation went something like this. The one said, hey, are you the son of God? Because if you are, could you get us off of here? And if you can't, apparently you're not. The other one says to him, hey, we deserve it. He doesn't. Don't you see that something else is going on here? He didn't say, can't you see that God made him who knew no sin has become sin for us? He didn't say that, but he believed, and Christ looks at him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. So today, like something happens right away with him in paradise. Another place we could look, this is Luke chapter 16. Now we're cautioned. This is a parable that Jesus tells about a rich man and a poor man. And it's a story about what happens after they die. Now we're cautioned over and over and over again. You read it, Luke 16. Hey, this is a parable. Get, be careful and you can't take it literal and all that sort of stuff. And, and I agree with that. It's also the only parable that Jesus ever uses real names, ever. So as many people say, like, be careful, the other saying, like, he's probably describing something he saw. So in that story, it would go along with what we see on the cross. On that one, we're not told whether the rich man is a believer or the poor man, Lazarus, same as Lazarus, different Lazarus because our Lazarus was rich, this one's poor. We're not told whether they believe or not. All we know is in life, the poor Lazarus begs at the rich man's gate and he doesn't care. At death, everything switches. And it says that when they died, Angels carried Lazarus to Abraham's side. So we know that when he died, he went to a place where people who had faith go. Because Abraham had faith. And it says that the rich man went to a place of torment. So very different destinations. So some sort of judgment happened. It doesn't say, but some sort of judgment happened, like whether you have faith or not, which would line up with Hebrews, it's appointed once for a man to die and then face judgment. Not a... Not a judgment of works. Bible's clear that's coming later, but some sort of judgment of faith. Do you have faith or not? Did you trust? And based upon that determination, bang. With me or not? 2 Corinthians 5. To be away from the body 
is to be present with the Lord. So we can know that if you die and you have the Son, that you are with Him and where He is right away. If we can lift those glimpses off the page. And I think we can. So think about it. Because this is the high point. That if you die and you have the Son, that you'll see Him. This is what we know about him. We know that Christ, after death, had a resurrected body. We know that that body showed the scars of what he worked for us on the cross. And we know, after a series of days, that he made his ascension in that body. We know, and we'll get to it in a little bit, that those in heaven, there is some recognition. There's, they are recognizable, and it is possible that we will know him because it will be Maybe something like that Thomas experience where you see him and he knows you and you know him and then you might actually be able to see for yourself for the very first time what he worked for you. And if he knew you, I thought about this. I stood here and I have claimed and claimed and claimed and claimed what he said that he did to you. And if he finally would say, well done, here I am. If I think about that enough, that is where I would want to be. If I think about that enough, that's where I want to be. And keep in mind, my seventh graders were six and one, and we get everybody back. Okay, we could be seven and zero oh as eighth grade. Is that good stuff? Okay, <laughs> to me, yes. <laughs> what if he knows you, and you can actually see? What he worked for you. Unbelievable. I think. I've got like six more underneath that. That's the best one by far. If you, if you're walking in the valley of the shadow of death, do you have the Son? And if you do, when you go, and we're all going, he's going to bring that power over death to bear on yours. We need to be with him. Quickly, the rest. Quickly. Paradise. Somehow, there's a paradise. I don't know what it is, but it's uh, the writers of the New Testament would say, so today you will be with me in paradise. So the writers of the New Testament, inspired by God, would say, would cause us to consider 
something like the Garden of Eden, because when they were translating, it's called the Septuagint, and when they were translating the Old Testament into the Greek to roll the story forward, and they got to Genesis 2.8, and it said, and the Lord God planted the garden in Eden, in the east, the word they used was paradise. It's the same paradise that we have here. It's the same. So some kind of garden, maybe. I mean, is there going to be grass and trees and waterfalls? I don't know. Some people say that is ridiculous. God is spirit. The present heaven is only for disembodied spirits. We're going to get a resurrected body later. It's all just floating around. But it doesn't say that. I mean, if we were just going to float around, I think it would say that. But all the language, it, it leads us to think more of a much more tangible, physical realm, a garden. To add to that would be Revelation chapter 2, where... God allows the Apostle John to look into heaven, and then he told him to write down this, to he who overcomes, I'm going to give the right to eat from the tree of life in paradise, the same paradise. So maybe it's Jesus and the tree of life is where we're going, just like that. Do you know what went down at the tree of life and all that stuff? Now, do we eat from it? I don't know. Think about someone you know who had the sun. Like, you believe they had the sun. Like, are they eating from the tree of life? Randy Alcorn in his book, Heaven, he's like, listen, you, if you read it, like, it's there. It's an opinion. He's like, it's Jesus in the tree of life, and that's where you're going. And for now, there's a present heaven, and then there's more coming, but we're just talking about present. I don't know. Like, I think of, like, I think of Scott Carr. Scott Carr is the guy who was one of my dad's good friends, and he was just loud, and he was excitable. And he was, if he was loud and excitable here, I believe in some way he'll be loud and excitable there. And I'm like, is he eating from the tree of life? Like, is that what he's doing? Hey! <laughs> I don't know. And I'm not trying to make light. It's like, how can we piece this together? What pieces do we have? I mean, it's not the only thing. There's a throne room there. This is Revelation 4 where John looks in and he says, and I saw a throne and one sitting upon it and there's light coming out and there's rivers and there's 24 elders with robes and they have crowns. I'm not saying you get a robe and a crown and I'm not saying even get to go in that room, but I think that room is there. There's a lot going on. This is one that I have shared with families grieving. Awareness. This is Revelation 6. Awareness. There is a group of people right now in heaven who are aware of what's going on here. They're said to be martyrs. And they look down and they say, how long, God, will you not, like, let's bring this thing to an end. Give them, like, they know why they're there. They're there because they died for their faith and they still see what's going on. And by the way, that number dying for your faith, do you know that grows 400 a day, 150,000 a year? Even now, people die, 400 people today will die for their faith on average. So that number grows and somehow, but they're like, bring this thing to an end. So there's a sense of justice in heaven and a sense of time because they're told, not yet, not yet. So is there awareness? If you go to Luke 16, it appears that there is awareness, certainly from the from the man in the place of torment who was aware of who he was there and he was concerned about his brothers back home. So could the mother who left behind her four teenage daughters, does she have awareness and can she bring that awareness and that concern to God in some way? Are those the only ones with awareness? I don't know. But to be there and him and tree of life and throne room and aware 
a recognition. There seems to be from the word recognition. So a person described here is described in the same way up there. So Abraham here was known as Abraham, but there he's known as Abraham too. Moses here is known as Moses there. Elijah here is known as Moses, or no, Moses, no. Sorry, slow down a little bit. Elijah. Right? So when, when you're able to look in, they're described in the same way. So there's something now, is it are they disembodied spirits? I don't know. But somehow they know it's Abraham. He went to Abraham's side at the top of the, the mountain, to the transfiguration where Jesus let Peter, James, and John look in. Who was there? Moses and Elijah. And they knew it was them. There's some kind of, Jesus will be recognizable. I mean, if he has this resurrected body, so recognition. If there's recognition, that means there'll be reunion. And this is what we talk about. This is where we always jump to. Like, well, you know, dad's there, mom's there, what, that. But if there is recognition, there'll be a reunion. And it's okay to think about who's there. Who do you believe had the son and who might be there? It's not bad to think about. I mean, I've, I've read through things where you're like, forget about that stuff. It's only Jesus. And absolutely, he's the best part. I told you that five minutes ago. He's the best part. But this isn't bad. Who's there? So Jake, right, my nephew, would confess Christ here, would believe that he's there. There'll be some recognition. It means something to you, too. And the last one is return. We can see that. Christ is coming back. So whatever's going on there now, that, re, that reunion will be interrupted for a moment. And then it says, this is 1 Thessalonians. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So when he does come back, and let's say we have not died yet, those that have will come with him. And then it says the reunion will be in the air. It's like over six mile cemetery somewhere or something. Or wherever. Those are some of the things we can know. Those are some of the things that in groups of people who have lost people that they loved, those are things that I have lifted from the word and just held out and said, there's hope. I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes, though he die, yet shall he live. And do you have the son? Because death is the destiny of us all. Amen? Amen. Lord, thanks for the I am's. Thanks for this one. This is life after death. And it's, it's the thing we can't beat. And I pray that each person in here would consider on whether they have you and that you'll bring what you have to bear on their death. And I pray for belief throughout the room. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said,